you played with Rick Wakeman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I uh, listened to some of that the other night. And I mean, like, I, I hate this kind of like to say that somebody is a rock guitarist. But if there's one, it's you for me. That was, yeah. I mean, yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I do other things as well, but primarily my heart is, in, you know, heavy blues. And and I got, I, I mean, it's a funny story because um, I grew up, uh, first gig ever, well, I left school at 16 and I played with Leo Sayer. He became very big here. But he, but the one of the fantastic things about doing it, my fr- friend Gordon Barton, who was the drummer, he woke me up. I, I, I was just so the day before my uh, 16th birthday. And I'd been to France with a friend on a binge. It was Easter break. Very uh, an intense binge. <laughs> and I was laying in bed and, and my, my our house had a backdoor policy, meaning you know, the back door was always open. So Gordon was a dear friend. So he woke me up in the afternoon. And he said, Ant, you're leaving school tomorrow and you're coming down to Brighton to play with Leo Sayer. Right. And I went, oh, okay. I had to call my mum. You know, she was working on a movie in Ireland. And, you know, overnight she said, go, you know, go fly was her. Uh, she always, you know, anything of my music or artistic career, it was already go fly. So. Bless her. She passed away last year, by the way, but ninety-five. So you know, and she and she passed away in her sleep. But, anyway, but back to you know, so so and the reason what was so good about that is because Leo Sayer and his writing partner Dave Courtney wrote Roger Daltrey's first solo album, which had just come out. So I knew it was a good, you know, as, as well. I mean, I would have done it anyway, but it was like I was living the dream at sixteen. Anyway, so. Uh, and then, um, how do I get to Rick Wakeman? <laughs> <laughs> no, so so at sixteen, you were already kind of like known for being a great guitarist. I was uh, uh, well, I wasn't known because I mean, you know, I mean, I, with some people, some yeah, people. but, but, but I, I was recognised. Yes, I mean, Adam Adam Faith was our, our manager, and um, he actually. I mean, the band lasted three months because they they were all alcoholics. <laughs> Serious, well, not alcoholics, but you know, one was actually bless him. Um, but um, it was you know we were the out to lunch bunch. I mean, I was sixteen, so I was you know, I mean, I wasn't an alcoholic. I was, you know, I was I was experimenting with uh, you know medicinal off off not off the counter, <laughs> you know, all, all the usual. And more, but um, but anyway. So, but after that, um, they 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 you know kept me on, and and actually they wanted to make me a solo artist. So you know, and um, but I'm fortunately on our last night gig ever, um, the, we and the band had heard that a friend came around and said they were looking for other bands. So you know, it was it was mayhem, and I was the only one who was in. You know, sober condition. Anyway, but that night, Adam Faith had a terrible car crash, which nearly killed him. He was in hospital for three months. You know, and there was no airbags then, so the steering wheel. You know, I mean, absolutely terrible. But anyway, so um, 
uh, and I, I got bored. I mean, I, I, had, I, I was 16. What did I know? All I knew was playing guitar, you know. <laughs> you know, and Dave Courtney was a dear, dear friend who's, you know, he was co-managing with um, uh, Adam Faith. And, you know, we hang out a lot, but um, eventually, you know, I, I missed my friends in Harrow. So, I, so I, you know, I moved back to Harrow. They still kept me on, you know, wages and stuff. And uh, anyway, uh, 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 and I'm, 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 I mean, I'm starting from the beginning. Even though you mentioned uh, uh, Rick Waitman, no, but let's 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 start even earlier. So, how did you get yeah. to play guitar? Okay, oh, okay, I'll start. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> well, I started having piano lessons when I was five, right? And by the time I got to ten, um, my brother had we 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 had like. Beatles plastic guitars and nylon strings, you know, and things, but nothing serious, right? And, um, but then, um, but, but the age of 10, my brother, who's two years older than me, had a, like a, a exchange, you know, they, they do uh, a, a family of um, who, musicians basically came and Mark was assigned to be their buddy, sort of, you know, the, the contemporary buddy. Anyway, Eric, Eric, oh God, his name, it'll come to me, but Eric was his name. Really cool guy. He played guitar. And so uh, I remember, I think I probably had the play in a day book, you know, which is Bert Whedon, who I got to meet yet later on. And another story there. And um, uh, so we got the monkeys book of songs. And that was, I was a, yeah, well, the Beatles fan, obviously, and well, the Stones came later, but Beatles definitely, Herman's Hermit, Stevie Wonder. Well, no, actually, I was a bit annoyed with Stevie Wonder because he did We Can Work It Out, and he, he he shifted the 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 chorus, but it's so cool now. I mean, it's 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 a genius. But at the time, I was annoyed because you know he was he was you know <laughs> blaspheming. <laughs> <laughs> but you know i mean but now you know i mean some years later i thought wow what what an amazing t turn on it because he's, he's 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 actually singing you know on the offbeat you know we can work it out you know roses they can work it out that's the b right yes. so I was, I was a little bit annoyed <laughs> but um and then, so the monkeys book, and that was the first. And he used to sit with me. I used to sit with him rather, and he 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 just play, and I'd, I I'd assimilate from him. He was so, you know, and so he was. So I I started really playing seriously at ten, but I but because of my, um, I would say divine moment when I was about three, walking through, a, crawling through a uh, um an attic conversion and all those boxes and clothes. And I, you know, it was like, you know, foraging through. And then suddenly what was this beautiful acoustic guitar from laying with the neck away from me. So all I saw was this beautiful, you know, base of the acoustic and it had beautiful pearl, mother of pearl inlay. So it was like, oh, because it was shining and it was like, the Ark of the Covenant, and you know, it's like, and I didn't know even what it was at first, but I knew it was important. Mm -hmm. it, I had an instant recognition, even at the age of three or something, that this was like really important. And um, so, you know, and then, so, but so back to 
10 in Eric, right? So I said to myself, I don't deserve to play a solo notes until I've two years of actually learning chords. I, I don't know where that came from, but that was just something to do with my my um, respect for the, the fact that it was a divine moment I had. And it was like, I wanted to honour that, you know. If, uh, anyway, so two years, and I've, I've heard lots of stories from other guitar players who've had a similar experience. So I'm not, you know, unique in that one, but, you know, it's not everyone's uh, experience. So I was blessed. And, and, um, so I felt blessed rather. And uh, so I remember the f first three notes I played after two years. And it was like, you know, you know, it's something, well, I don't say remember, something like this. Uh, <laughs> that was, really, that was it. I, I, I was, um, my, my main, um, sorry, put it back. There you go, baby. Right. Um, um, my, at that point, my main influences had been Rory Gallagher, Paul Kossoff, Eric Clapton on Blues Breakers, definitely, absolutely, Peter Green, um, and and finally Mick Taylor. You know when he joined this. Well, actually, I, I knew of him when he was did that Blues from Laurel Canyon album. Of, prior to joining the Stones. And he was the, for me, at the time, it felt like a, he had, he had the best vibrato ever. It was, it, was a, it was a hybrid of Paul Kossoff, but not quite so. I, I mean, Paul Kossoff was my first time, first love. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So um, I, I then, so I was like 12 by then. And because I've been playing, you know, I, I was very comfortable. Uh, uh, so, and I, I noticed that I had three, every three months, I'd have another breakthrough. Like I'd be playing and playing, and suddenly something else would click. So it was a it was a three monthly cycle of of growth. You know, I'd be playing every day. I I used to play by the side of the bed um, before you know before I went to sleep, and I'd actually fall asleep playing. You know, it's like it was that it was it was that. In intimate, um, you know, I had a very wonderful and also slightly abusive childhood, you know, like I was abused a few times. So, you know, and so this was something that I could trust. Yeah. As long as I gave my, you know, my my whole self and, you know, like what I, what I gave, I got back. And it was like, it was very intimate. And it's, you know, anyway, so... That was, uh, and then I, I you know, I, I did a few, <laughs> the first gig I ever did, actually, it was a, a very boomy community centre, and I got on stage, and I realised I couldn't play all these notes like I was practising. It was it, it was a life lesson. Like, what, what translated it, especially in a boomy old college, was like very clear, define notes and, and a single note would have more impact than a load of widdly diddly which i sort of do now <laughs> so but i have to keep reminding myself you know mm, you know less is more but uh, um but i've been accused of widdly diddling so you know jeff whitehorn for one <laughs> we, we did some stuff with Mar marshall together right at, at one point 
and you know we, we we were friends i mean you know but but you know he he was like he started getting a little bit you know i mean he he was high spirited i'd say and so at one point after a gig we were all in this hotel you know having some you know uh, drinks and stuff and he said he 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 asked me and why do you play so many notes? I said, I said, because I can. But I remember that. And, and then you know, we were it was a trade fair, and I was I was performing, you know, in front of a, in, in a big room, uh, and he was calling out too many notes, you know. So we had this sort of you know jeering thing. But you know, I love him because you know. It's um, I respect him. He, you know, he, he's been a, he, but he he was um he was um I, I want I, I mean I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but he he wasn't a wild guitar player. He's a very very good. He's you know done amazing things. So I'm not, and he's he's always got a good sound, and he's you know he's just. I mean, I I don't want to just say reliable because he's more than that. He's he's a good, really good player. Yeah, but he's not like me. I I I, I take big risks. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm just that personality. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> and, uh, and and you know, but I have been told. I mean, we did this with back to Rick, right? Um, we we did this um, a live show that was televised in the Kremlin, actually in the Kremlin, which is sacred, right? And I can remember there was two people like halfway holding lighters up, you know, and the security ran to the, no, 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 no. It's just, you know, it's, but we, we were luckily to, you know, I mean, Rick obviously had the, the power and the, you know, relevance to be invited to actually play in the Kremlin, you know, it's like, a, anyway, it was televised. And um, the director afterwards came up to me and said, yeah, I couldn't take my eyes off you. So, you know, as a performer, I, I was very, you know, I mean, I'm humble and, you know, what a, what a great, um, I mean, you know, of course it could have led to some, um, uh, you know, I, I can't really say, but for my personal thing, anyway, I, I, I've been very lucky to, it's all I do, you know, it's all, it's, you know, uh, it's been very much my, to perform and do the work to be able to play, you know, it's not just all, you know, it's both. And I, I also notice with probably the same with other musicians, you know, too much live shows, I want to get back in the studio. And if, if I haven't been in the studio for too long, I need to go out again. So it's, it's a really, you know, lovely balance if you get it right, because one inspires the other. You know, if you've, if you've had live things, you go in the studio and you, and you bring that energy with you. So um, did you you said that those first five six years you were practicing and playing so much? Did you did you keep that up throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, uh, we know what not not in, not as intensely. I must admit, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm I, but it, you know, I, I but because I was playing so much, it it, it was naturally. I mean, you know, I was writing, so I was actually playing as much, actually more intensely, rehearsing rather than sitting on the side of the bed. But I remember, you know, we I played with Roger Chapman for a while, and um, the nicest thing was being in a hotel room on my own, 
no just you know no in distractions in the afternoon before the show and i'd just be playing on the bed and just, that's where i it was, it was i did that same thing playing on the bed no amp just you know and being connected and i can remember also um let, let me just go back because yeah. I, you know i'm rambling a little bit <laughs> <clears throat> so after leo sayer um um about well then then i i uh, i i took a job in a nightclub to you know see if i could well, no, the idea was to pay my dues you know learn all these standards and stuff and whatever so that that was cool for a couple of years and then jim avery the bass player for who um you know in um, for leo sayer by the way he was sent down by track records to figure out um if if um roger daughtry you know, there was a, a threat that he might leave the Who. He was he was sent down as a spy. <laughs> Great bass player as well, you know. So all this like intrigue, and sadly, you know, Jim passed away last year too. You know, uh, very sad. Um, but he, you know, he 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 was a major mentor for me as well. Mm -hmm just as a person and teach taught me a little bit about life that I, I you know I had no idea all I, all I really knew was playing guitar you know, as I said so so that was and then then um, he called me and said Anne you know we've got a record it was the punk time in 1997 uh, 1979 sorry <laughs> punk time and, and um, so he um, you know, said, and we've got a deal. We just need to put a band together. <laughs> so, okay. So, you know, and I was doing this nightclub. So, you know, I, my hair was long and everything. I thought, okay. So, you know, to be, I just <laughs> made, shared, not shaved my hair bald, but it was like very short, colored it in different colors and got drunk one night. And, you know, I had my, my eyebrows. So I didn't know, it wasn't the intention. And one, one eyebrow was yellow and one was green. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that very much, and um, and also managed to crash a mini in the in the in the mini, you know, Cooper mini, uh, in the in the process. <laughs> Crazy night, but I, then I woke up and like, oh my god, I'm I'm like a peacock. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but that that was towards the end of the band. But anyway, so um, we and we you know we we got Gordon, who's the guy who woke me up from, you know, you're going, so he, he was a drummer. And then, um, John Fenton was our manager. Uh, he, he, he managed, um, he, uh, Arthur Brown, you know, fire, yeah. Doo -doo. but then he, then he, then he, then he, he, so he gave the management rights away for a phone bill because he did <laughs> a really crazy time. He had a beautiful apartment in Kensington, um, um, yeah, uh, it was Knightsbridge actually. Um, yeah, it was a beautiful place. We used to, that was our hangout. I met Sid Vicious there. Well, actually, I met him before, but he came along. Yeah, and you know, by that time, he he was being Sid Vicious, like grabbing chicken legs off the buffet. <laughs> he was he was in his role by then. But for just back to that. Uh, we were rehearsing the punk band and he was actually playing drums at the time with Susie and the Banshees. Mm 
they were just rehearsing. No, you know, I don't think that people knew about them at that point because it was the early stages. But uh, uh, Jim, Gordon, and myself were sitting in the bar, and this, you know, very quiet spoken, bit insecure Sid Vicious turned up, and he introduced himself. And he said, I'm Sid Vicious, yeah, but without like arrogance. It was just and I, I inst- instantly like resonated with him, thought, you know, what a what a you know, like someone I'd like to talk. But unfortunately, you know, Jim and Gordon were drunk and they're a bit more arrogant. Uh, and they told him to, you know, where to go. And it's like, oh <laughs> that's happened to me a few times. And I in my life, you know, I've 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 been interested in talking to someone and whoever's trying to protect me or not mm-hmm. there's sort of uh, so <laughs> i've got lots of people i want to want to well it's too late but you know in the next life i want to you know make amends <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but, but so anyway the, so the, the we had like in, in true punk fashion we had three record deals we got thrown off the 999 tour halfway through because we caused a riot in, in middlesbrough <laughs> <laughs> and and you know of course every you know people are labeled everybody knew about it before we even got back <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah and um, so eventually um it, it sort of fell apart i can't remember really what was the uh, defining moment but um dur- during that time uh, I met Keith Moon actually very shortly after he you know passed away he I, I actually died on my uh, my when I married my first wife and I was with John uh, John Fields who was the who's accountant dear friend as well because we were you know we were with Kit Lambert as our producer so you know we were in that who who family and uh, so we were sharing a cab. Uh, down to Gatwick Airport with John Fields, and it came on the radio, Keith. So you know, I mean, wow. John John was devastated. Obviously, I I was shocked because I'd met him. In fact, the, the when I met him, it was at the Water Rat Pub in Chelsea, where it was a very um, a known you know place to hang out, and I lived just up the road. And um, so I, I you know saw Keith. And I walked up to him and said, oh, well, hi, Keith, you know, I'm, I'm working with Kit. So he says, oh, you know, so he was really, 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 really friendly and lovely, warm. And he invited me into his roller. Mm-hmm. And to, to hear his, he said, I've got, I've got you know, come, in, come to my car, I've just got a new quadraphonic, um, you know, system. So he was on the seat, you know, with, with the little window open, you know. And I was in the back seat enjoying a brandy and with him and um, hearing the Beach Boys, you know, ba 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 ba. That was one of his favorite songs, right? In this world documented. So I had the pleasure, and I remember this uh, this girl. She was you know, Afghan coat, you know, John Lennon glasses, hair, and she sort of recognised Keith. And uh, she said, "I was at Woodstock, you know." And he was really lovely and gracious, you know. I mean, he he was. And he, there was no, he, he was just in a really, really good space. Um, there was no, you know, like, because, you know, he had 
Jekyll and Hyde, but he was definitely in the, um, you know, Dr. Jekyll mode. <laughs> really lovely, warm, um, just, you know, friendly like I am. You know, I just felt there was a similarity in, you know, someone who you 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 meet and you sometimes just, you know, you, you, you just invite them into your time, you know, life or or at least the moment, yes. and it was it was so special. And then you know, you know, within uh, um, must have been a few months. I've come, but it was probably that same year. And you know, my my first wife, you know, I was already with her. So mm-hmm. anyway, she and was known as were, you were just just twenty years old at that time, right? Seventy uh, seventy eight. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, actually, uh, twenty-one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I just think about the, the, you know, the the real, the sense of like, if if you know, if it hadn't been that time, I would have never got to meet him and just share a moment with real funny, just a little Woodstock thing coming in, you know, and just. Mm-hmm. You know, be- beautiful little bubble, um, and sadly, you know, he left us. Um, and so, um, anyway, that was that. And then, um, I mean, it's it's amazing how how early, like like for me, these kinds of experiences that you're talking about, they happened very late in life for me. I was 38 when I started going out as a musician properly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, And and I, it's kind of like incredible for me to imagine that like as a teenager you were sort of having yeah. all those experiences already. And I mean that's also why like when I listened to your playing and you know you were very young and you had such a an old voice in a way. <laughs> yeah, in, well, a way, in a good way. In a good way. Yeah, yeah. no, and I, I hear you. I hear you. Thank you. I mean, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I I was definitely, you know, had a gift which I put the hours in. Definitely, I had to put the hours in, but you know, I've, I've, I don't know where it came from, and I do know really because it was, you know, from the universe, God, whatever we would call it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've, I've come to think of God as the universe, and, and 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 I believe there's also like if some sort of committee, <laughs> and I'll get onto that later. I'll tell you why. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, you know, and so um, anyway, so. There we are. Um, so I'm, I'm the punk band and meeting Keith. Also had Charlie Cray, who came to the pub especially, and he, 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 he had his suitcase and he wanted to be my agent. Now, I don't know if you know about the Crays, but, you know, well, Ronnie and Reggie were the biggest East End gangsters, brutal, very dangerous people, and his older brother... He wasn't really part of it, but he, you know, by association, he was the older brother. So when he once, you know, offered me <laughs> to manage me, and you know, I mean, I, but I, I was, I mean, I wasn't. I just politely declined. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, and I, I mean, I, I, I mean, because I, I knew, I knew it was not not the right thing to do. But you know, he was very nice and very polite and you know, a gold pen and his writing was like a spider. 
<laughs> no, no, because he's from the East End. I mean, you know, but yeah, but uh, it was. I remember that being sort of, and I, I just um, there was no ramifications. He didn't, you know, give any. Ooh, you know, he, he just very politely then just went away from my life. I never saw him again. You know, so you know, I mean, that could have turned out <laughs> different, yeah. knowing. But it's it's I it's, to me it's fascinating that there were actually people out there that sort of recognized your talent and then made that kind of offer. You know, I think that's what this story, you know, ultimately is about. Yeah, and and I sort of didn't I didn't even think of it. And the funny thing was also, uh, in I was you know because it was our local pub, and I used to I I wasn't very social not by good not because I didn't want to be I was just shy. Right. But because of that, everyone thought I was dead serious, you know, because you don't say anything and people get uneasy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, now I've opened up quite a lot and now everyone knows <laughs> my insecurities come out in my, in my gestures. <laughs> personal. But um, back then I, I was very focused um, uh, and um, socially you know, so so like meeting someone like Keith, it was instant because because I felt safe with him. He was really nice and warm, so that you know I, I felt yeah very comfortable just hanging with him. It was, it was fantastic. I mean, one of the one of the one of my precious memories. So anyway, so um, there we are, and, and Kit Lambert too. You know, he he was just a, a magic person too. Very eccentric, but brilliant you know what what just occurred to me is that i spoke with larry fast which was my last podcast um and larry fast was uh met rick wakeman in the early 70s and and built a synth for rick so now i see like there's there's even like oh. connection between you two guys here so oh yeah yeah uh yeah okay okay um i i, I met a guy who also had some one of those, oh, what do call it? In the early days of, um, it wasn't a keyboard synth. It was like you had little pegs you put in it, and it yeah, the mod it, modular synth, yeah, the modular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I think, yeah, and I think Rick, he was had a connection with Rick as well. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, you know, really funny with Rick. We'll, we'll go back to Rick now, and I can back up for the next. Yeah, we we, we can jump back and forth. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> with Rick, it's funny because. Um, I, I, I'd seen him around, you know, I was driving at that time. I had a really beautiful, um, silver Daimler, uh, you know, Jag, but it was a Daimler, you know, they Jag sent it to Daimler to put the, uh, their version on it. And, and I used to see Rick in around town in his roller, Rolls Royce. And I, you know, obviously recognizing, oh, and by the way, I've got to say about Rick, when I mean I was I was a big big Yes fan, and when Rick, you know, left and did his Six Wives of Henry the Eighth, I because I was also a piano player, you know, so I used to go into the stores, uh, a big store in the West End music store, and get on a Moog and just you know play Rick Wakeman Star. I just loved it. I just I was, and those those tracks I became emotionally attached through my keyboard side, right. Mm -hmm. Not guitar, but that, that was my other. I remember that. And so when uh, I was doing a show called Rent uh, in uh, just, well, you know, it's very 
tragic time for me, actually, but we'll get onto that later. And um, uh, I'd lost my daughter through a hospital mess up, mm-hmm. you know, which the universe changed. So that's and I was, I was just getting through that. And then I got offered to do this show, Rent, which actually gave me a groundhog day. As, as, and it was very emotional. It was about, you know, a young girl dying. Oh. Amazing show. And I, and, I, and I had this beautiful position of being the guitarist who was facing every, the audience on stage. We had a little shack. And, you know, for, it was just great set, you know, scene. And the cast was so lovely and in music. And, yeah, it was just... It, and I, I, it allowed me to grieve without having to move on because it was the same show every day you know so it, it was a really uh, cathartic and um um time for me you know yes. to be able to do that and and have so much you know empathy going on around it was just beautiful so anyway um so so just to put that on the timeline oh, that was the early night i'm sorry Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll have to edit it. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I'm, so, I'm... With, with Rick, though, Ad, Adam Wakeman, his son, came into depth uh, on, and I, I was facing him every night. So we became dear friends, and then he invited me to come. You know, after the show, he he said, "Aunt, you know, uh, you know, I'm putting a band together for Dad. Do you want to come down?" And I said, "Yeah." So as soon as Rick and I met, it was instant recognition you know happy and i had the best time in my life with him you know he it was so beautiful and, and oh the, when we started rehearsing some of the songs from henry the eighth i hadn't listened to it and and suddenly all this emotion swelled up in me as we were playing you know, and, and I can remember this feeling of my God, yeah, you know, I, did, I didn't even know they were buried for so long. And mm-hmm. as we were actually playing it in in this rehearsal room, uh, yeah, it, 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 I remember the emotion just swelling up, and you know, I was wow. And I'm then I'm then looking at Rick and looking at the moog and this moment of you know explosion emotion. <laughs> Okay, so you ask some questions, because please. <laughs> okay, okay. So let me let me tell you um, what I think connects me to you. Okay, okay. So um, it's very simple, as you said. Like the first things you hear as a, as a child that kind of speak to you, they stay with you forever. And for me, like the first record that record that I bought was Crisis, the Mike Oldfield record, and. And that, like your name on the back cover, like that from that moment, you were sort of like present in my life. Oh, right. And and so it's as as simple as that. You know, there is just this association you're making with names, with the liner notes, the way it used to be with records. You know, it's very different these days, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there's there's no records. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. And I mean, there are actually there are there are they're resurging, but it's it's yeah. you know. So, but what I what and I was ten, you know, I was ten years old when that happened. So, what is so fascinating now for me talking to you and a lot of other people and like colleagues and you know, I and I play with uh, 
quite a few musicians who are like 10 years older than you like t tony levin i'm in a band with tony levin oh wow seven right so uh <laughs> so so um it's sort of wonderful to see how these these individual careers the the biographies of of us as musicians are sort of intertwined and interconnected oh, yeah. oh, it's such a small business you know when you get i mean i don't say to a level but you know when, when you get noticed you get you, there's a it really is it's like you know mick ralph's dear friend of mine he produced one of our albums uh midnight flyer you know his saying was see you in the charts <laughs> but, <laughs> but 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 the real reality uh at those times because there was no email there was no cell phones and 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 sometimes you didn't get to say oh what's your phone number it was more like i'll see you at the next airport or the next you know i mean with mike oldfield actually we met on when i was doing the midnight flower acdc tour in america we became fr good friends so i the next time i saw him was at ross kildare in um is it sweden uh, big denmark i think denmark thank you thank you yeah thank yeah. you for, yeah denmark and um and um you know i saw him there and then you know then the next time i saw him i'd met and uh, really because there was no real way of getting hold apart through your label you know yeah. we didn't really i mean we should have just swapped numbers but we didn't yeah. and um, it wasn't you know anyway so <clears throat> sorry i'm i'll calm down um <laughs> so uh so I met Jeremy, his personal assistant, at Ross Kelder. Mm -hmm. And uh, and if I hadn't met Jeremy, because six months later, um, Swan Song, I was a Swan Song artist, closed down. So I, I was in London in a music store, guitar store, and I, there's Jeremy. And Mike's been trying to get hold of you. Swan Song's closed down. Call him tomorrow, you know. And if I hadn't met Jeremy, he wouldn't have recognized me, you know. So it was just, you know, um, this serendipity that happens, exactly. you know, when you we're all we're all circling around the same thing, music and you know, the industry as such. So it's not surprising, but it's like, you know, we 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 sort of would we're we're gravitated the right word to the same stores you know where it's so but it's just the the coincidence you know is just yeah. amazing see it's it's even even true for me like any meaning meaningful musical connection i have with people was not really made in musical context was made in some okay. sort of private context like yeah. meeting, meeting on a train or uh, <laughs> meeting at a dinner party or something like that but ne i never and never introducing each other as musicians in the first place no yeah cool, well, you know? yeah 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 but yeah i mean it is it's it's well i i think uh the universe has a way of you know connecting like-minded spirits i mean there is a saying in which i really love is what you appreciate appreciates mm-hmm Mm -hmm. right so yeah. if you're talking about money if you don't look after if you don't appreciate your money it goes away <laughs> you know that's the capitalist view but with you know with with energy you know what you put out it, it attracts more more of it yes. so i think that's one of the things that is in your favor you know but uh but the, the, these you know because i i i mean coincidence uh, is one way of looking at it 
it could also be just a you know where, where energy is and you know meat you know i i have a dual i, I i'm a very spiritualistic person spirit um but also i also i'm a taurus so i have my earth grounded part of me so i i see life as a double-sided coin you know the earthly side and the spiritual side and it's, they're all the same thing but yes. it's like you know flip side of the same thing and now come to think it's just all the same everything's there will be but you know what i think you know as musicians we have sort of like a, an easy time seeing the world like that you know like yeah you know, the, or the non-dual actually what it is right yeah, yeah. Well, we're always we're always in our you know in another plane of thought yeah. you know i mean one of my favorite um uh cartoons is um little boy and his mum talking and the little boy saying mom when i grow up i'm going to be a musician and she says well son you'll have to make a choice <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly or yeah. grow up or be, yes. or be but, a little bit missing because you can't i mean you know obviously you know some do better than others but you know we are usually catastrophically bad at business when you're because you know we to play <laughs> you could you could say it's tragic but i don't think it's tragic at all because like the way that i see it nowadays is that as musicians or any any anybody who's doing any sort of art for lack of a better word right like we're actually creators so like there is we have the role of the gods somehow in this in this world well yeah so i mean creating creating, I'll, creating I'll, materials you know creating materials mm -hmm. for others to work with and i think that's, that's fine it's very true i mean i i, I i'm not i mean I'm, I'm i i don't i think my it's more being energy gifting you know from the universe of god, rather than being a god i mean i, I mean yeah, I, you know, but, but you know what i mean that's why i did no, 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 no. yeah I, I just wanted to clarify i don't think i'm a god at all i, I think no, no. i'm I, I, you know, I mean and i'm sure you don't think you are it was a term of you know but i i, I term of endearment <laughs> but yeah no i i agree though i mean i used to think you know, I, I, well, just by the that early first divine intervention, you know, our, our moment when I was, I felt there was something I was getting, I, I was receiving rather than, and and you know, but it's it, you know, any 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 inspiration comes from you know ninety five perspiration, ninety five percent perspiration, and because I think you have to get there, and and some songs, and when you get to a point. Then it's easier because you you rule out all the you start on something and what you would have furthered on you see oh no you have a better filter and George Harrison one of my favourite interviews says you know the interviewer was asking him what's it like um, to be you know working with two prolific writers you know how do you he says well John and Paul had their wrote their worst 500 songs before I met them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a craft, and it I'm is. still working on it. But, uh, you know, I've, I've got a few things I'm proud of um, you know, over time. Yeah. I am. So, um, 
Um, you know, I would love to do a follow-up sometime so we can fill in the missing gaps because I've really enjoyed talking to you, sharing. Me, me too. May, may I ask you a couple interesting, uh, you know, like I've been, uh, ever since I've become a, an old field fan, I've been sort of like following his whole story because mm -hmm. for me, that is sort of like the, that is like the, the big picture is very important to me. I'm not just looking at one song or one record. Sure, sure. And oh, he's perfect. Yeah, it's just it's just that I and I, I just I mean I'm just gonna so the way that his guitar playing changed after having worked with you for me mm -hmm. if, if, I mean like he's he's you know he's always been changing his styles and his sounds and everything right but there's like this particular thing he does on the follow-up to crisis on discovery Ooh. where i can't i really I, I i i'm honestly thinking i mean there this he's got to have been inspired by you somehow and well, I, you know, <laughs> well you know, i'm i'm i mean i'm very honored for you to say that but he did say to me i'm his favorite guitar player at the time you know even when we fell out because we fell out of petty things yeah. And I and and I didn't really because I'd been I'd just been th in three bands where we were equal partners and suddenly and and I was and I was so close with Mike as a friend I didn't really understand the the boundaries it was it was all about jealousy over women on the road I mean to be honest it really was mainly about that and and then it's just you know just, I mean we had a food fight so, you know after one. <laughs> I mean, that's how, but then he invites me skiing. Uh, you know, I, I was always, I felt like the black sheep of the family. You know, I, I'd, I'd sort of, I mean, he, he did the next tour after Crisis Tour without me. And I was, yeah. I mean, Jeremy was calling me up and saying, how many days do you think we should play, you know, a day off? He was really, you know, Mike and I were really close. We used to hang out. Um, so it was very, and, uh, and then, um, Dear friend of mine, Joel Bogan, who used to play with Toya. Toya, yeah. He, uh, Mike, without me knowing, at the same time asking me, you know, how many dates, you know, before we have a day off and stuff, you know, through Jeremy, he's at the same time <laughs> didn't pay for his flights, but he invited him out to Switzerland to audition, didn't get the gig. And then he went on tour without any uh, second guitarist. So I was I had the the the, the backward um, what do you call it backhanded compliment of he couldn't replace me or he didn't, <laughs> you know. So but I, you know it's interesting because I know noticed. I mean I I did I did rock up crisis and the track because I put these accents in and the, the little you know that sort of stuff you know I mean I I I came up with those he he left me in the studio for about forty minutes you know you know come up with something and he he had that's the fa that's the trust we had yes and uh, if, I've got to tell you the first time I, I, he invited me after I met Jeremy I went to see him the next day and uh we were sitting there and i was thinking oh god you know how was i playing when he met me because he he came to see us at the acdc he was watching me on the side of the stage every night every time i looked him his eyes were on me like so i knew that he liked, liked my playing without any doubt and um so when i when i um came along uh so he said, "Oh, should we, should we play the like main theme of Jubilee Bells?" I said, "Yeah, sure." Um, and th this is 
I would never say this to someone I didn't feel safe with because but it was a it was a term he understood right I said well do you want me to play it how you play it or with feeling yeah now <laughs> no, if now if we but he uh, it, it was a safe thing to do because he understood exactly what I meant yeah. he, he and he, he he knew I wasn't gonna I, I wasn't being arrogant or you know putting him down what I the word that should have been is articulation yes yeah right but I didn't that wasn't rock and roll talk. You didn't know, you just talk about with feel, you know, with feel means your way, you know. Yes. So luckily he said, Oh yeah, with feeling. <laughs> you know? So now I could have easily had the marching orders if if we weren't friends. And I I would but I, I wouldn't have said it like that if I didn't know that he would take it without yeah. You know. So, you know, and we had so many great times when when we did Shed on the Wall solo. We were down the pub, you know, and pretty tanked up when we came back. And we, and we, you know, we knew what we figured out quickly what it was going to do. It's very, it's a very simple harmony part. It's not, yeah. you know, but the but the the extra, you know, um, energy came from many ales. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only time, though. You know, everything else was done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was always wondering about that record crisis, how how you guys arranged the guitars on the record. And like, uh, because there are so one, some extremely wonderful, like three part harmonies there. And obviously, for me as a listener, it's difficult to tell who played what. Right. Right. Well, the, 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 the actual crisis when it gets into the rock. Yes. Thing. Uh, I came up with the harmonies for the. I've got three guitars doing that. Yeah. And uh, so that that was I did. That's sort of one of the things I did on my own in the studio when he left me for forty minutes. Yes. And I put the accents on, but there's um, uh, the 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 little bluesy thing, the I think he he showed me the and I think I think he helped he he I'm pretty sure uh, I think he basically showed me and then I may have add, added something there but I think that was main I mean it, it definitely was his thing because uh, I remember, and, and I think I had to work out the harmony for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go to but the funny thing about that album, apart from the shadow on the wall, we, we, we both had boogies, right, for that sound. I brought, I had this little miniature practice amp. It was literally that big, mm -hmm. that big in a square. If you're getting, yeah, about sort of, seven inches tall by seven by seven right and i brought it along and um he said let's use that so the mic was it knocked the amp over a few times because the mic was bigger than him <laughs> but it but it's got that that's got that that's what i used on the uh, you know nearly all the the, the, the album i mean <laughs> you know sometimes you know less is more <laughs> well the th good thing about it though it had a good tone and it could, my this guitar is my baby that I've used. Actually, Peter Grant bought me this guitar. And I used it on this my work. You can see it was very yeah, good condition. I, it. It's, uh, 
That's the one you played on the Crisis Tour as well? Yeah, yeah. And look, whenever someone says guitarists never use their tone, I don't know if you can see, but if you, yeah, I get it. Close as possible. Can you see the the wear? It's actually got a groove with a little thing. Yeah, I can see it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but it's actually got. You can actually look. It's, it's dense. It's it's like a valley. <laughs> valley of the tone. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so that you know, this guitar me is just. And I had JD. Uh, I don't know if you know of date. JD is a famous. Uh, yeah. He, um, he made this. Because it was original P P ninety, mm -hmm. uh, but he he molded the same you know shape, but it's a humbucker, mm -hmm. and that's what gives it its extra edge, and it doesn't buzz. I've I've got a sixty three one original one with um the original P ninety mm -hmm. uh, that I I got from Norm Rare Guitars um, who are turned when I came to LA. I found out he's my cousin-in-law. So I went to the store and I said, hey, 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 Norm, I'm your cousin. And I saw his eyes going, oh, God, this will cost me. <laughs> and I was saying, I'm looking for, a, you know, a, a second for this. And he, and he went to the back and he went, this is it was mint condition, got it. Uh, and he said, I was going to take this, bring this home for my collection. And he sadly, gladly, Gave it to me for a song, <laughs> wow. meaning a very, very amazing, yeah, deal. Lovely guy. He's just, um, yeah, recovered from some illness that I've been through, mm -hmm. uh, and he's, you know, doing well. So bless him. Anyway, so that was funny. Sorry, but a quick one. Um, so, so just, just uh, some other question, like about, like when, when did you get to Los Angeles? When did you move to Los Angeles? And oh, I, I moved. Uh, I, I had lung cancer, brain mets, in London, in England, and through miracle, I've met Paul Reed Smith the year before, and we we, we just hit it off, and he said, then he said, um, <laughs> uh, after three days. We were at a bar and he said, Ant, I'm going to build you the guitar of your dreams. I said, we'll make it like this one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we, we, we didn't speak for three or four months. And I call him and we carry on the same conversation. You know, it was as if we, there was something very, I showed him some stuff from Paul Kossoff stuff. And he was a big free fan, you know. So that, that's where we connected musically. And, um, yes, and he's, you know, but anyway, so when I got ill, I called him up, mm -hmm. Paul, I'm ill. And he said, okay, um, make a book, uh, 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 and I figured out that America chance for lung cancer survival was 45%. England at the time was 25%. And my doctor I met this basically said that it wasn't curable, you know. So I thought, yeah, right. So like that night, I called Paul randomly. I hadn't spoken to him for a bit. And he, immediately he said, yeah, book a flight to, you know, Baltimore and keep it, uh, you know, keep renewing it. And then put the phone down. I get Michael Hibbler, who at the time was the director, uh, no, the um, family uh, patient coordinator for Sidney Kimmel, the cancer center for Johns Hopkins, which is, in my view, the best cancer mm -hmm. 
hospital in the world. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I'm on the phone with this Michael Hibbler, and first of all, he you know gives me assessment. You know, how old are you? How healthy are? Well, you know, apart from this, you know, I'm pretty good. So uh, he said, "Okay, you're a good candidate. I know exactly who I'm going to call." Uh, you know, turned out to be John Weingart, the neurosurgeon, and Stephen Yang, my lung surgeon. And he said, but they're a bit precious. I'll tell them you're an international rock star. And I'm going, you know, and he went, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 sorry, sorry. They're a bit precious. So, and he, and he said, um, how did he go, God? But he, 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 he re- retracted himself by saying, hang on a minute, you're a friend of Paul's and you're a guitar player. You know, oh, my God. Yeah. And it was like an Archie Fufkin moment in Spinal Tap. Have you ever seen that? We, we go kick my ass. It was slightly different circumstances, but it was a similar, you yeah. know. And so the more I sort of, you know, because I'm humble, I mean, I'm there are many household names that, you know, way down. I'm way down the list on, you know, what I consider the greats. But um, but I was very, you know, I'm I do have a pretty good resume. So, but I, you know, I, I was humble, and the more I did that, you know. Oh, you know, so you're an international rock star, and the more, you know, so that that just broke the ice, and it was so, you know, made a beautiful um, connection. Yeah. And then when I finally got there, you know, I was not in a good state, and he brought a wheelchair, and he said after later, he said, this guy's not going to make it. So, you know, I'm blessed by Paul's... You know, I had no idea he does pro celebrity golf tournaments with the cancer center. That's how I got. I had no idea. It's just he was my influential friend in America. So you know, I, and now Johns Hopkins, two of the my thoracic surgeons, Stephen Yang and Michael Hibbler, they call both call me the miracle of medicine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still here. I think I'm here for a reason. So you know, so that's. That's when, how I when, got to when was when was this? Which which year? Two thousand two. Thousand two, and that's that's sort of like when you start stop touring. Then obviously, yeah, I, I was actually I was supposed to be going to Jakarta with Rick, and they were we were there on the same day, but he different terminals. I was I was the international terminal, and that, you know, but I didn't get to see him. But yeah, and Rick, Rick you know, when I when I first said look, Rick, I. Because you know, I used to call him Uncle Dick. <laughs> we used to like, we used to, you know, come, come and tell Uncle Dick. So I say, Uncle Dick, you know, I've got a problem, and, and I said, you know, I, I've got a serious problem, and and he was in shock like I was, you know, I was like, oh, you know. so um, anyway, he he went to Jim Marshall, um, and and also he. Referred me to Roy Castle's um, Liverpool Cancer Trust, um, but but uh, then, by again by another miracle, by Paul Reed Smith, who I only met like a year or so before, uh, and he actually brought he he actually it was two years before because the the when was it it was frankfurt messer which uh, it was it was shortly before the cancer came mm-hmm. um 
about a year later, maybe. I, I he built, but he the, the the guitar he built me for my dreams was. I've I've got it. It's an absolutely stunning um, PRS that I I I measured. You know where he measured my neck because he he showed me a couple and I said a eh, little bit thin. He said, "Ant, that's a millimeter thin." I said, "Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can tell." <laughs> and so it was a custom made by Joan Eggs, who was then his private stock luthier, and it was the most beautiful guitar. I've, I've got it. I mean, if we've got, I mean, I could get it out of the case, but I know we're on time limit. Um, no, we, I, we don't have a time limit, but I need to show you something. Oh yeah, please. So. So this instrument, yeah, this is uh, my design, and I did it with uh, a luthier called Ed Reynolds, who also worked for Paul Reed Smith at the time. Okay, cool. It looks and, lovely. Uh, so uh, Ed is in Austin, Texas, and in two thousand six, I because I used to play a Chapman stick, so I I, I played okay. touch style with two hands, right? Uh, okay, and, and I had sort of like. I believe at that point, I believed I had decoded the technique and I wanted to build an instrument for the technique rather than coming up with the technique for an invention like the Chapman stick, right? right? I went to this guy at Reynolds and I said, I want you to build me a traditional guitar instrument that does what I need. And, okay. and that's how I got into making well, well, show me, show, show me what you do with it. I, I don't have an amp here, so I can't it really. Doesn't matter. Just, it's just acoustic. Just, just, are, are you play it like a stick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play like stick, wow. and I I integrate the two hands into one line. I yeah, don't yeah, yeah. I don't hammer on and pull off like you would on a guitar. Like I tap each individual note. Yeah, just so it's it's very low action and but very resonant. Low action, know. and it's it's tuned in fifths, which is sort of like a. Which I think it has to be tuned in fifth for this style. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. I mean, it was more like a violin than in tuning. More like a violin, exactly. And because we have eight fingers and we cover the, you know, yeah. fifth on a string, like with eight half steps, and it really like makes total sense with with. And is it is it strung from low to high? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, actually, yeah. This, is, this is like a low B flat. This is right. Lower, oh, okay. lower than a five string bass, and you go up. Yeah. To, how, how, how many strings do you have on it? It's eight strings. Okay. Yeah. Eight. Okay, so you've really you've got your eight fingers, right? And now Django Reinhardt would have had a field day with that. Yeah. <laughs> but but he would have played with with only one finger. <laughs> two, two, yeah, two, two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two. No, but you know his his style. In fact, it was so economic. Uh -huh. He didn't have all he had. Just work, think about was two fingers, you know, like it was incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's I, I mean, I, I grew up loving that as well. It's just a uh, phenomenal. And then, you know, Tony, Tony Iommi, you know, he he invented those claws because they couldn't do with the other ones. <laughs> and then, I mean, you know, um. Innovation comes from necessity. Yes. It's every time. And, it, you know, uh, brilliant things come when you're limited and you you you, you figure out, you know, because I'm not a big fan of lush jazz chords. I mean, they, I appreciate them, but 
when sort of I mean that's I love Stevie Wonder because he he simplified, yeah. You know the the, the sim, you are the sunshine of my love. You know that is, is could be a big jazz chord. You know when they, duh, duh, but he he makes it triangular. He will just put like a D. Yeah, like the yeah. It, it just like that, but the bass determines the the chord. You know exactly. Uh, 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 and that's just a you know it's like a yes chord with you know more as a you know blow around um it's what the prog rock took away those flowery notes out of jazz changes oh, yes, exactly. exactly you know one one of the techniques you know so, I'm, yeah. so uh yeah I, I i really it's more understandable when you've got less notes so how because i'm just so curious about how, no, John, John, yeah. <laughs> how did you learn the uh the old field stuff did did he show you or did you have to do it by ear or um well do you mean do you mean for the tour or for, for the for tour the, yeah, for the tour oh no well we, we just got together for three weeks um with him and we went through like um I mean, it was all by ear. I, I, I didn't know. I mean, actually, we were so close, and I feel really guilty. But he asked me, "Should we get David Bedford to do the whole score?" I went, "Nah," <laughs> <laughs> just like that. And I, I probably got, you know, lost him like fifty grand commission. <laughs> and I really, really apologize. The thing is, one, it would intimidate me because uh, you know I grew up playing by you know retention yeah. and um and the other thing is i uh, you know i mean if we had one you know we wouldn't use it after the first week or so you know what i mean it would become so so and and so when we rehearsed if it's actually phil spalding and myself we were the we got the whole thing in about a week and a half it was two hour you know it's like 200 little excerpts and and the funny thing is when we um got to certain parts you know the guitar parts you know that um uh, uh okay do it that 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 weird diddle, diddle, diddle. you know he looks at me and says you don't want to play that do you it's, nah <laughs> so we had, <laughs> it was so funny nice but that was the understanding and friendship we had it was safe for me to say nah not really <laughs> yes. it, 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 i mean i felt so you know because uh, i really respected his 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 uh, um composition you know, I mean, when I first met him in in uh, it was at the forum actually in out here in LA at the end uh, during the ACDC tour. Um, uh, I had no um, what motivation or 
reason to want to play with him, but I respected him because he used my favorite guitarist at the time, Mick Taylor, when he did the Albert Hall. Right. So, and I, you know, and I grew up listening to Tubular Bells, you know, like everyone else did. So it wasn't, I mean, I never thought, and then and all I'd really heard of him over the years, because I, I missed a lot of his music, but the main things I heard was the Blue Peter theme. And, all, and, I, and you know, and it's folky, clog dancey, you know, which he was, you know, very good at, but it wasn't, you know, in my, my roster of being a rock blues guitar player. <laughs> But, but but I knew he was he was from a blues background as well as, but and and I really liked him and he you know we he first thing he said to me when we met was oh I got a guitar like that you know because <laughs> yeah, he was using an SG this is a this is an S Paul Les Paul SG but you know I wasn't gonna <laughs> I just you know it was, it was, it was, he was trying to connect very well and then you know as I say he was watching me a bit like a hawk on the stage on my side of the stage every night of the forum so I, I knew there was a so um you, what you was want, the question? um I, I want to tell you something so my one of my teachers and friends is robert fripp okay okay and, yeah. and i spoke with robert once about mike about oldfield and and uh robert said to me and this is still like rings in my ears he said that mike was a very very nice man and that i shouldn't believe what others are saying Oh yeah, well he's well he, he's a very nice guy, but he's also had you know he's had a lot of trauma. So when he when he gets frustrated, it goes inside, and and he, he I actually got worried about him because I I saw him he was getting annoyed about something. We're on a train, and I'm sitting opposite him, and he's actually turning red, and I could and he's boiling up, but he he's not going to explode. It'll all go internal, uh, and I said, Mike. I'm really concerned about, you know, you're going to have a heart attack. And, and he, you know, he was very suppressed. And Jeremy, his personal assistant, was the opposite. Mm -hmm. So he, he was Mike's conduit to the outside world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but, he's, yeah, I mean, he was, he was a, he's a very traditional, but also open for lots of fun <laughs> Um, but yeah, but I've really dearly because we sort of fell out over silly things, yeah. and you know I've and Wayne Smith, who's a dear friend of mine, is friends with Mike and Rick, mm -hmm. and so uh, with Rick also through you know circumstances we had differences and you know fell out. Mm -hmm. Rick apparently uh, wanted to you know at least. Um, invite me to his show just before covid he was doing in la didn't, didn't happen so we hadn't really spoken but um that, that's another issue i don't really want to go into that but it's uh, there are some issues which i i um i'm not happy with that happened but mm -hmm. that's another thing I, and you know but but i still bless rick for the time i had with him the good times because we were very close as well yeah um so I both of Mike, I mean, I, I love them both. And um, I want to put it out that, you know, the, 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 it's, I'm a romantic. I, I forget any of the bad endings. I'm, I'm also, uh, the energy you get when, and, you know, and, the, you know, the recognition I got through being able to work because I'm honored and, and actually to make, to make a, 
and you know that you've recognized that mike's he added a bit of my essence in his playing i'm um you know uh, he needed it <laughs> he was a bit i mean yeah he had a more classical um you know his his vibrato violin vibrato you know it was like um but um you know the the energy of that crisis life band for me that's still sort of like the reference so if i if i ever had a band with more than three people in it that's the kind of power i want it was amazing time we really had great shows and you know what the thing that i feel proud of right this is my one contribution when we first started the first show we did all the front two rows were all Afghan jackets and John Lennon glasses and peace signs, right? After the week, they were all leather jackets and doing the rock thing. And we got <laughs> we, we got a review in this magazine, French magazine. I've got it somewhere. And they called us Le Rolling Oldfields. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and I mean, you know, I was, I really was the only, I just, toured with ACDC for two years, you know, with our band Midnight Flyer, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I, I brought that into, but, but the, yeah, the energy and Simon Phillips was, you know, amazing. And Pierre Moulin, both, they, they, they did two drum kits. Pierre was also doing, you know, percussion, oh, but yeah. oh, there was one track called My, Mount Tidy. That's how you spell it. And that was both of them. They're going in and they're going, black. And although it's like orchestral power going on behind me, oh, and and yeah, we had we had um, Westlake monitors that were sawn in half, like you know, because they're normally you know a studio monitor, and Mike had had them customized so they were stage monitors. We had our own little mixers stuff, you know. I mean, it was like. I went from, you know, heavy blues rock with ACDC. Our band was, you know, pretty, we were getting great reviews and everything. Then, of course, Swan Song collapsed and Deal collapsed. And I went from there to this, like, orchestral prog. I got, I, I, I refer it to being sucked into the prog world. <laughs> <That's crazy. It's> <laughs> cool. And is, uh, is Jeremy Parker still around? Uh, well, he uh, might let him go some time ago. Uh, yeah, but it just does he still? Work? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I okay. I lost so touch with them that that whole family, mm-hmm. you know, it, he was like glued to Mike, mm-hmm. you know, it, because Mike sort of needed it. But then Mike found out that I mean, he 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 screwed me a few times, unfortunately, um, by blaming me for something in front of Mike that wasn't me. Oh, I see. Okay. So, and, 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 you know, again, yeah. so what? Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, 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 was part, I was part of the equation anyway. You know, I, I, one, one thing is anything that's gone wrong in my life, I've realized I'm the common denominator. I'm the common denominator. <laughs> Accountability doesn't matter. <laughs> it does matter. I mean, that's well, all that, about. That is an extremely wise statement you just made. <laughs> I learned it from a friend who suddenly came out with it. I thought, yes, that's the that's the most you know uh, humility and and accountability fact that you can take in. You know, learn something new. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
<laughs> I have I have an idea. How would you feel about we talk a second time? Absolutely, 100%. I, I, I can't, I'd love to because there's so much to talk about. Yes. And we, we've only, well, I think we've only scraped about, you know, a quarter of <laughs> what yes. could be. Yeah, and I, yeah, probably less than a quarter. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm really interested in hearing about you because you've had a prolific connections with people I, I grew up with, you know, like hearing and, you know, Robert Fripp, you know, uh, I was at Hyde Park, the Stones concert. Oh, where, you were there? Yeah, I was there. But unfortunately, my mum and my, I was like, you know, 14 or 13, 12 even. And um, uh, so my mum took us and then, uh, we we didn't see the band. We were just over the, the there's like it's a basin, right, high part, and we were just you know on on the rim. So I could hear them, but I heard you know King Crimson, you know, twenty first century schizo man stuff. And then when the Stones came on, all the Hell's Angels ran forward behind us, and my mum got afraid. So my brother and his friend ran off and saw the Stones, and you know my mum took us home because she was a you know. Our safety, you know. I mean, I, I you know, but we were there. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing! Like, uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> let's 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 do this again and let's do it soon. Yes, definitely. Well, yeah, okay. Well, thank you so much, Marcus. You know, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share some of my story, and um, I'm writing a book right now, so um, that's another one of the things. And it's going to be about my rock and roll roller coaster ride oh. in, in um, which incorporates my career obviously because it has been like that up and down amazing ups and then <laughs> but then you know i lost my daughter through a hospital error so i know about grief because i've been living with it for the last uh, well, since 1997 and then five years later I contracted lung cancer with brain mets, which spiritually lung cancer is associated with grief. Uh -huh. So I've got some, and so, um, you know, so I'm a, I'm a, you know, against the all, all odds, my oncologist told me I had 10% of living a year back in 2002. Mm -hmm. And I, beneath my tears, I said, I'm the 1% who's going to be going on for another 50 years. <laughs> and here I am still. So if if you don't mind um, talking about all those things before your book is released, I would happily talk with you about that. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean it's going to be much more in detail, but of course I, I can share some yeah. you know moments of it. Yeah, because yeah, I because I'm, I'm sure there is something there's something uh, to learn from somebody well, well, who has that kind of. Well, my purpose is to go out once I've got a book written. I'm going to go out and speak. Get on the circuit. You need some product to, you know, to do yeah. that on the on yeah. the circuit. So, and um, and I, I'm, you know, I plan to start off with a bit of guitar, shred a little bit, and play some music, and then introduce myself, and then go into my life. Yes, you know, in, you know, with all the three different aspects to try in in the hope to uh, help people who are in that that situation uh, that. You know, I was lucky because when I faced my first time of thinking I may die, I, I, I'd just been given some steroids from the doctor when we discovered I had the in England, and I'm sparring away, 
going, I'm going to be okay, because I knew I had big surgery to be done. I, I had a CEO, CEO talk to my whole body, addressing every cell, saying we've got to meet whatever happens halfway, right? And, um, and so I'm sparring away, I'm going to be all right. And suddenly this little voice, in, you know, apparently from this side, or are you? <laughs> Scary. And three times, and I turned around, and as I turned around, I envisaged this Looney Tunes cartoon with these little munchkins eating my brain away. And I just, it was so funny. And I said, well, if I'm totally screwed and there's nothing I can do, I bared my chest and said, bring it on. I'm ready. You know, I had no fear. Just go. Because I had my daughter, I'd lost my daughter five years before. And I said, you know, I'll be with her in the afterlife or in the nothing life, but wherever it is, I'll be with her, you know, and that, that took away any fear because I needed to have a hundred percent confidence or, you know, that I was going to, I was going to, you know, be able to do this because a little bit of negativity will go into your cortisol, you know, um, it will produce cortisol and that I did not need any, sense of fear because that's one of the main things that kills you if you've you've got fear we all have fear but controlling it yes and and it it subsided and it was overwritten by my absolute 100 percent resolute no fear i'm gonna i'll embrace whatever happens but my resolve to live was back to 100 percent again if that makes sense and i'm and i'm glad you're here and i'm I, I kind of regret that I haven't contacted you earlier, but now, wow. now, what have you been doing? <laughs> but you know, I, you know, I, I was in uh, Los Angeles just a couple of months ago. Really? Oh, yeah. wow! I love yeah, we well, played you... uh, six shows at the Baked Potato. Oh, I know. Yeah, oh, I'd have been there, but like a shot, man. Mm-hmm. Oh well, if you ever come back, you know, you got to look me up, and uh, uh, we'll hang out. Yeah, we will, and we'll we'll talk before that though. Here. Yes, of course. Yeah, we'll do we'll do, we'll do it next week if you want, or you know, just let me know. Yes, I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll hang up now, and I'll I'll write, send you a message, and we'll talk okay. next week. Okay. All right. So, okay. uh, 